When I was a little girl, my grandmother would start her day at the kitchen table with a cup of coffee. And when I would wake up, I would join her at that table and we would talk, we would laugh, and I would listen and I would learn. Sometimes she would talk to her girlfriends and I would soak it all in. They talked about life, they talked about love, but mostly she talked about being ferociously her, being her authentic self in a world that didn't always accept who she was, how she was, or that she was. But she didn't let that stop her. She made shift happen anyway. My granny's not with us anymore, but that doesn't mean the laughing and the learning has to stop. Join me, ladies and gentlemen, at my kitchen table, and let's keep talking shift. You're listening to Talking Shift, the podcast, with your host, Marissa Q. Payne. Talking Shift is a trademarked production of Marissa Q. Payne International, your source for coaching and consulting when you need a major shift in life or leadership. Have bag, we'll travel. <laughs> for more information, visit marissacupain.com. Get you some good friends when you're going through your shift. That's the message here. For now, listen, learn, and laugh with your host, Marissa Q. Payne. Emphasis on at the moment. Welcome back to Talking Shift, the podcast. I am your host and friend, Marissa Q. Payne. Sometimes I come to you in the strength of my gift as life and leadership coach. And other times I'm coming to you as everyday woman in my in the vulnerability of my journey. You all, I hope you are buckled in. I hope you are buckled in <laughs> because our guest today do I say this every time? Okay, so first of all, I don't have anybody on my podcast that I don't love. So we'll just we'll just say that. However, this woman, <laughs> um, we graduated from grad school together some moons ago. Like, how many moons has it been? Um, more moons than it should be. Because <laughs> I'm like, that? it's been like 15 years. It's been far too many moons that I don't even understand how it happened. <laughs> but I have had the pleasure of watching her and um, her hubby as well, because we all went to school together, evolve and grow and like marry and become parents. But she is a fierce professional boss advocate for young people um, in a way that has just blown my mind. It has been my absolute pleasure to watch her found a school for those that um, needed it the absolute most and to make shift happen for those that need it in the most profound way. She's an author. She is now a consultant. She is a champion um, for all things, the lifespan of young people. Please join me in welcoming Stephanie Malia Krause to Talking Shift. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Marissa. <laughs> he, he is tired. <laughs> <laughs> like, and and we didn't talk about like how you came to it. So I, I do want, just so the folks have perspective, because 
you are you like your next level powerhouse, like Google her for real. <laughs> but you didn't start that way, right? Like before we even get into the big shifts, like let's let's start with the whole concept of who's supposed to be here, right? <laughs> are you supposed to be here? So I have this, we're going to go deep fast, right? We're going to just jump right into just it. Just hold on. Horribly morbid conversation with my husband, who you know, Evan, the other day. And I said, babe, I'm afraid I'm going to die soon. And he's like, what? And I was like, well, hear me out. <laughs> I, I was... I, I dropped out of school. My last year that I completed school was the eighth grade. Mm. Got my GED and started college at 16 with like a whim, a prayer, and some person who decided they were going to let in a kid who wrote an application where I said, I'm 15, I'm newly sober, I have a GED, but I'll show up. Um, <laughs> graduated from college way too fast, not because I was so smart, but because nobody told me how many credits you're supposed to take. <laughs> so, you know, I was taking 23, 27 credits every semester, working two jobs in college, you know, grinding, hustling. And so at 18, I graduate from college. I start teaching. I get my first graduate degree so I go GED to little baby college to state university in Arizona, mm. um, get my first graduate degree before my 21st birthday. I meet Evan when I'm 21 in St. Louis, getting my second graduate degree after a couple of years teaching, realizing in education that the, you know, we can go back to sort of the through lines of questions, but what I needed to be ready and well I didn't get in school and in the town mm. that I grew up in. And then I go and I'm teaching and I realize all of these issues that are impacting my kids in the classroom, I don't have the skills and training to help them with. So I leave mm. and I go to social work school anyway. So to get back to this morbid moment really quickly. <laughs> so then before my 25th birthday, I've got two grad degrees. I'm married. I'm founding this school. And, and now it's been, a, it's been a minute. Yeah. And so I've got these two growing tweeny teeny boys. The most um, adorable faces. They just... are adorable faces, but you know, like <laughs> teeny, like T-E-E-N, not T-I-N. They're no longer mm -hmm. babies. They're not littles. And, um, and I've done a lot of the things. I've schoolhouse to the White House running a school. I've now written my second book. And so I just had this oh. moment where I was like, <laughs> I don't know where we go from here. Well, it's not death. <laughs> There's a lot of life to live. And my, my girlfriend, Natty, is always talking about pausing and pacing. But to answer yeah. your question directly, I'm a dropout kid from Jersey who mm. thought the only thing I was going to do when I grew up was to work at my hometown pizzeria and help take care of my mom and brothers. And I still, you know, that was, I got sober 22 years ago and I look mm. back and I think, ah, oh, each day is this 24 hour extension of grace for a life that I never ever could have imagined I would have had. And that yeah. keeps it in real perspective for me. 
that's a shift all by itself. It's a big that's a shift. Sh- that's like, I mean, it's, and and what do you say about that? Like, as you reflect on that transformation, just the just the personal transformation, like, what don't people know about that kind of metamorphosis in your life, right? Because it looks good on paper. I say that all the time. And what happens and what's the process as you're living it out of body? Because mm-hmm. I imagine that's what it's like, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It takes a while before you catch up to your body that this is actually your life. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's deep somatic work. It's an interesting thing in our field. So Marissa and I went to grad school for social work together. And right now the trend, and I'm grateful for this trend. Let me say this before I say the next part, is really leaning into people's lived experience. We want people Mm. with lived experience. And, you know, people, you're hearing me on audio right now. I'm a very fair-skinned Native Hawaiian person. And so I present as white although I carry all of the generational historic trauma of being a native woman. And then my lived experience is complicated and complex with a lot of survival and hustle. Um, But I don't know about you when I was coming up professionally, there were moments where that story was really important to tell, but there were many other moments where it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to now be at a part of my professional life where I don't feel the need to defend where I am or who I am or what I offer. Mm -hmm. But I also do know it's deeply steeped in that whole life journey. And I think that I really cherish the fact that street credibility never dies not ever Mm. not no matter how old you are it is it only takes but a second um for (laughs) that's so true right for it to be there yes yes and you'll say i'm sure that you you have had this experience plenty of times you say something or make a reference and someone kind of cocks their head to the side and looks at you and is like uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly. Right. I know her, right? And she knows me. Yes. 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 And so um, so I really cherish that. But there are definitely moments, I think, in adulthood, particularly now having 10 and 12-year-old kids, where I am realizing I was 15 when I left home. 15. Mm. My, my older child is 12 years old and I still make him sit in the back seat because I study brain development and child development. And I know that he can sit in the front seat, but I know his baby brain is growing until he's 25. <laughs> so I think like, God, I still have my kid in the back seat and I was getting ready to leave forever wow. when I was his age. And when I was my God kid's age um, and that part, is wild. So when you think about being becoming a champion for kids um, and having that be for me, it's all about what do our kids need to be ready and well, what do they need to thrive? Mm-hmm. A lot of that is etched in personal experience, but a lot mm-hmm. of that is also, I think, lately soaked in the awe and wonder of how the heck did I make it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that awe. 
I love that awe. And that's why you're not going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I got to stay alive for a long time. Because <laughs> there's always awe, right? That's In this, and we just, I say we go from shift to shift, you know, and, and there's always awe around every corner as we continue to kind of make that transition, thinking about, you know, your oldest and you being 15. It's just like, can you imagine, you know, given the development and the nurture and the support that he has received, would he be as ready, right, mm -hmm. as you were to do what you did? Um, and the answer is, one answer is yes, of course he would. But then the other answer is, uh, I can't imagine it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I have to tell you this interesting story. So my newest book, Whole Child, Whole Life, really tackles this question I was feeling in my bones as a parent that I was hearing from parents and teachers and counselors all around the country, which was, is it possible for our kids to thrive even when things are really hard, even when times are really tough? And so bringing this kind of full circle here, I tell this story in the conclusion of the book about this fern. I'm not really a plant person, but this mm -hmm. fern in Hawaii um, that, so when the lava flows in Hawaii, it dries and it's black and crusty and it looks like a different planet. The lava is so hot, it destroys everything. And then it's just this black abyss. But the first plant to crack through is this kupu fern and it's a brilliant green mm. and it took me down this road of learning about ferns and typically people in Hawaii and other places will use the kupu fern as this story of resiliency it's about the fern but for me when I learned about it I was thinking about the lava and the sun and what could possibly still be happening in mm -hmm. the environment that this fern could thrive even in lava. So what I learned is that ferns are like this very ancient plant, ferns and algae, who knew? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that they can grow anywhere except for absolute darkness. Mm. And it was so striking to me because it made me look back at my own life my parents and the community, it may have been a bit of a lava field, mm. but there had to be enough there there oh my that God. I still could leave at 15 and make it. And I wasn't all put together yet, but there was still enough internally and externally mm. to start my life at that point. Mm. And you've now done deep, intensive study of what that soil, for lack of a better word, needs to be, not just for parents, right? Because what I love about, you know, your story is that, I mean, you've been surrogate for so many young people. <laughs> so it's not just parents, right? It's It's caregivers and mentors and teachers and all the folks. Yeah. So I have dedicated the last decade of my career to working on issues that impact 
anyone who is caring for kids, Mm -hmm. working, raising, working on behalf of, and, um, and again, with whole child, whole life. So in the middle of the pandemic, I had my first book come out called making it what today's Mm -hmm. kids need for tomorrow's world. And it was kind of my love letter back to the front line. So when you mentioned in the introduction, I ran this school for youth who were too old with too few credits, but who wanted to graduate from high school. Mm -hmm. And it was in the city you grew up in and called home. And um, so many young adults hadn't finished their degree before life happened. They got pregnant, Mm -hmm. someone got sick, they needed to work. And what I party included part of my story. Yeah. (laughs) But I, as you might recall, really publicly and politically closed that school, which was the hardest, rightest move that I ever made. We took a year, we made sure students were transitioned. Okay. But I knew that we were going to close the school. I don't think you know this story, the very first graduation ceremony, because Mm. the mission of what we were trying to do was make sure that every young person had what they needed to truly be ready for adult life and for working life and for college. And yet they were done the moment they got a Missouri high school diploma. And I knew morally, ethically, practically that it was not the same thing, but they didn't. So they were there in that room like I was giving out Willy Wonka golden tickets and their families were crying and they were crying and they thought this was the golden ticket to a good life. And I was like, no, it's just the thing that says you met these requirements that we tried to like force down you as quickly as possible because the state was going to stop paying for you on your 22nd birthday. Um, You're it's not the same thing as being ready. So I spent the first 10 years working in national spaces. After I left running this school, I I started working nationally asking this question of what actually does readiness require? Mm -hmm. Not what does it take to graduate high school, but what does it take to have, to be ready for a world that's very unfair and unjust, and that's Uh. very tricky and complicated. And so I wrote that book and it came out in the middle of the pandemic. So my first book tour was in my basement in 2021 about the changing future. And everybody would say, well, thank you, but we're so worried that our kids aren't going to even make it to the future. Mm-hmm. So what do they what do they need right now? Mm. And so what you're saying about sort of playing this surrogate role for whether it's God kids or students or whoever, um, that was the question I was feeling in my own bones was mm-hmm. I was looking at my kids. I was looking mm-hmm. at my God kids who, you know, I helped raise and I was really worried that they weren't well, that mm-hmm. they, would they make it into this future? And what I realized was that for them to thrive, they needed an honest roadmap of what readiness requires for a broken, unjust world. But they also needed to be able to not just live their life, but love it. And mm-hmm. and that's what whole child, whole life was. What mm-hmm. can we possibly do as the grownups to set up spaces where kids can not just live their life, but love their life? And what was yeah. so cool 
is that the same practices that are good for kids are good for us too, that there are these timeless practices that I need as Mm. much as these kids need. Oh, I have a phrase, you know, it brings me joy. Um, And I try really hard to do that and only that as much as possible. (laughs) Yes. You know, I took, I took Koa, the fourth grader on a walk yesterday and I try to build in. Okay. So I have this belief because of Evan and my family background and this particular moment in time of life that they're growing up in, that it's not a matter of if they'll have mental health struggles, but when, Mm -hmm. and will they be Mm -hmm. ready? Mm-hmm. And so I'm really trying hard to equip this little one for that possibility. So we were going on this walk yesterday and I was asking him questions like, where's the space that makes you feel like you're fully yourself? Mm-hmm. Where do you most belong? What, what gives you joy? What makes you come alive? Because over yeah. time, even though he's like, God, mom's asking me these questions again. <laughs> I want him to be asking himself those questions, right? And choosing, choosing joy and choosing aliveness and choosing purpose and making shifts that seem really scary because it's purpose over performance and because Mm -hmm. it's aliveness over achievement and all Mm -hmm. of those pieces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Stephanie, how? How, 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 how did you get here? (laughs) That's the piece. Like, um, there's a piece where it looked, like I say, it looks good on paper, right? Um, It's, you know, like, and, and you've shared a lot about the journey but like you said, we're going to go deep. So I want to, I just want to get a piece of it, just a a little nibble of one of the shifts that felt the biggest for you in this transition and zero in on that and talk a little bit about what you feel isn't talked about enough Mm. as you think about that. So I think it's important to honor and battle that the things that get us here can also be the things that hold us back once we arrive. Mm. And for me, there's a, an acknowledging and honoring, namely there's, I already said it once in our conversation, the hustle in me is strong. I am just a hustler (laughs) and I don't necessarily like there are pieces of it I want the boys to have, mm-hmm. but there are pieces of it that I don't want them to have that scraping by that scarcity, that idea that like, I got to do it to take care of everyone and everything in myself. Because if I don't, it's all going to go- come apart and maybe it'll all come apart anyway. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm constantly up against this tension between absolute gratitude that this gets to be my life for real. Mm. I drive up to my house and every time I say, God, I get to live here. 
I go and I pick up my kids because I'm a consultant now and I have flexibility over my schedule. And I think, God, I get to do this with them. I buy Briar's ice cream or Ben and Jerry's and I'm like, I can afford (laughs) Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And And it makes me smile every time, you know people who grew up poor, you'll get this. I look in my closet and I look back to my husband. I'm like, babe, look what I got. (laughs) For the longest time, a full pantry was like, oh my God. (laughs) That's right. So there's all of that, right? And that is deep, authentic gratitude and awe and wonder and enjoyment. And I remember telling Evan when we first met that anytime I ever start to feel guilty about the gifts, I think about if I were to go and tell younger me, one day you're going to have a beautiful home. Mm. One day you're going to have these incredible kids. One day you're going to be able to afford to get your kids this kind of backpack or this pair of shoes. And you're going to feel guilty about it. That little girl would have been like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) We want that or a job that you love or whatever. Wow. And that's in conflict, though, with the fact that I can't turn off the, the fear and fatalism that it's fleeting. That mm-hmm. it's it's not going to last. And it might not last. But mm-hmm. living in that anxiety mm-hmm. means that um, I don't always get to enjoy the process mm-hmm. and the actual shifting that is happening. And so mm-hmm. I think a big life and work shift is when does it get to be enough? to shift down Mm -hmm. and slow and enjoy instead of always. It's the present, Yeah, right? We got the past. We're constantly thinking about the future. We often neglect the gift that is the present. Yes. Yes. That's (laughs) right. And I think about this with the books where I'm like, I wanted, you know, Launching a book is hard work. Writing a book mm-hmm. is hard work. And in those stressful Sundays or evenings when I'm putting it into the like fringes of my schedule, being like, wait, but I've wanted to do this my whole life. My mm. whole life I've wanted to write. My whole life I've wanted to be an author as one part of the work that I do. I better enjoy it while it's here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and just, yeah, that that tension between, okay, it's here, but it could go is is really real. And I so appreciate your transparency about that because I I totally, you know, I, yes, I get that. <laughs> I totally get that. Even in my uh, my personal transition in my personal life, I, forgot, you know, I forgot to some extent for a while, right? You know, I was in, you know, a a partnership for almost 30 years and so had all of the amenities of life that I could have wanted. When we separated, I got small for a while Mm -hmm. and thought that 
my contribution was so connected to the partnership that I couldn't do it without it. Yeah. But I was before the partnership, you know? So it took me a while and I was just like, wait, I can, I did this part on my own. <laughs> you know, it took me a while to reconnect with what was true, you know, um, because of lots of things from all of the things, you know, and so I can, I totally, totally understand that. And, um, but again, getting centered, just like what you said to your baby, like what makes you feel yourself? You know, you mentioned when you came in, I, you guys can't see me, but I'm, I'm in a lot of colors. There's colors in my space. Like I, I'm, I'm big. <laughs> like, you know, I'm in the room. I have a big laugh, like joy abounds in me. And, and that's just, so I just do that, you know, and what helped me get to that was to continue that, right? To not allow my circumstances to allow me to shrink. But I started talking, right? I was like, you know what? I'm going to talk shift and I'm going to talk to a whole bunch of other people that talk shift. <laughs> and we are going to get through this, you know? And so this is how I found, because this is what brings me joy, um, and I bet that you found some of that um, probably in your book as well. Tell us about the book a little bit as we kind of wrap. Yeah, I think so. So for me, it is, and as I'm listening to your story and this kind of season of life for you, it's how do we pursue wholeness, the whole of ourselves, that integrated self in yeah. each season and situation and stage of life? And I'll tell you, one of the things that has been most profound for me in the writing of Whole Child, Whole Life and making it before was learning that while we still have incredible disparities in terms of um, how long people get to live, depending on race and opportunity and income, the science itself has evolved enough that most of us, if we have the right resources and opportunities, which again, is not everyone, but if everybody were to have the right resources and opportunities as an expectation, not an exception, we should all be planning to live to be at least a hundred, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's that's shifted. Yeah. And, um, I keep thinking about, well, then what does that mean for the long of it? How do we attend to the pausing and pacing and transitions and transformations of life. And I think that gets back to the new book and, and whole child, whole life being a book that I wrote for any adult who is caring for kids, who's raising them, working with them to say, we kind of have this first quarter of a possible 100 year life. Mm. to give them the foundation they need that will last. And what are the things that we can provide for them, like the fern in the environment mm -hmm. that then will enable them to keep carrying it forward for many years to come. So the whole child piece of it was 
how do we get to know the whole of a kid from the profiles that we draw of them that can be so harmful based on what they look like and who they live with and where, you know, where they stay, um, but have an outsized impact and influence on their life all the way to high definition in color, who are their people and what are their strengths and what are their struggles and how do we get to know ourselves in that same way? And then these whole life practices are, um, I had a, a wonderful woman in Hawaii tell me that the way that the practices, you've been doing breath work, the way that the practices ended up coming out is that they are formed in a way that's like an inhale and exhale. So the first couple of practices is this inhale of meeting basic needs, prioritizing mental health, investing in personal interests. And then on the exhale, it's nurturing healthy relationships and building Mm -hmm. community and belonging. And then on the inhale, it's attending to the past and present generationally, historically, um, acting with a 100 year mindset, looking out into that long life. And then again, on the exhale, it's um, going back out and being a force for good and seeking awe and wonder. And so together, it's this beautiful, timeless across context and culture practices that we kind of know in our spirit and in our bellies intrinsically is what matters the most. But now we've got the science and strategies that support that. Um, And so what happened is like you digging into the breath work, as I was writing this book, I was really kind of writing the breath of life and living and, and the art and science of caring for kids. And that as somebody who loves these kids, that in that caring, that I'm also caring for myself. Wow. Stephanie, you are a scholar and a queen. Oh, can I tell you, my fourth grader, oh my God, Marissa, this will be maybe the last thing. So my fourth grader, this week, every time I say anything, he looks at me, he goes, yes, queen. (laughs) (laughs) Where, Where did this come from? He says, well, mama, I heard it at school and I thought, what? My mom, she needs that. And so every time, yes. I love it. I love, I love what you said about, you know, if injustice wasn't so dominant in our communities, we were all intended to live. But like we could have a whole nother episode, right? On that to live a hundred years instead of 60, 70, 80. Like that's a whole 20 to 30 to 40 years we're being cheated out of. Yes. But I love what you talked about. There's nothing that you said that doesn't work in distressed communities right, by race or creed or culture, like it's just foundational, right? What every child, every adult (laughs) needs to thrive. What an important updated piece of work that is trauma-informed, culture-informed. Congratulations and thank you for this gift for us. Thank you for this conversation and for the the fact that 
you are living and embodying back to the intuitive piece so much of this in who you are, in how you parent, in how you serve and show up every day. Oh, I love my kids. <laughs> well, they're not kids, but they're obviously kids to me. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. You know, it, it's I, I needed your book. <laughs> I need my book. <laughs> I needed your book, but Lord knows I did. I, I tried, you know, with with no... I didn't, you know, I mean, I did some reading, you know, what to expect when you're expecting and the first years and the, you know, um, but man, I, my heart knew, you know, its desire um, and uh, for everything that I, you know, may or may not have gotten right. Lord knows my, my heart, my love wanted to. And so I just appreciate when there's a resource um, like yours that's available, you know, um, and we don't have to struggle. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We don't have to repeat. There's a lot of unlearning in our community that needs to happen. Um, this it, it's a gift. It's a gift. Yeah. We all deserve the information, right? We all yeah. deserve to know because we can want, but you have to know. Yeah. Yes, 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 for sure. Where do they get it? <laughs> Where do we find you? Tell the people how to connect with you and how to get the book. Yeah. So to be able to chat with me, you can go to www.stephaniemaliakraus, two S's, no E.com. Yes. And to find the book, wholechildwholelife.com or anywhere books are sold. Again, the book is Whole Child, Whole Life, 10 Ways to Help Kids Live, Learn, and Thrive. Thank you so much for talking shit with us. Thanks, Marissa. Love you. Love you too. You've been listening to Talking Shift, the podcast with your host, Marissa Q. Payne. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, like or subscribe for future episodes and leave us a review. Talking Shift is a trademark production of Marissa Q. Payne International, your source for coaching and consulting when you need a major shift in life or leadership. For more information, visit MarissaQPain.com or follow us in social spaces at Marissa Q. Payne.